Well, if you have your Bibles, and we certainly hope you do, will you please open them to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. As we continue our series entitled, A Stranger in a Strange Land. Let's begin in verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Do you ever have one of those dreams that you wake up the next morning and you remember vividly, and it concerns you throughout the entire day? Sometimes they're reoccurring dreams. You know, one that I still deal with. And maybe you're like me, but hopefully not. Um, I hope you're better. Uh, that dream that I'm falling. I, I have this dream that I'm just falling and falling and falling and falling, falling into the ocean, falling, falling. And then right before I hit the water, I wake up. Never quite make it. Miss it by that much. And though I've been out of high school for <clears throat> many years... I still have this recurring dream that I'm walking to high school I haven't done my homework and thinking of what excuse I haven't used to date. But then there are those dreams that are so troubling that they haunt you throughout the course of the day. You wonder about them. Sometimes you have a dream about someone you haven't seen in years and then all of a sudden during that day you'll bump into them somewhere. Dreams are a fascinating aspect of our creation. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that was so troubling to him. In fact, in the 29th verse, we find that the dream had to do specifically with his question concerning the longevity of his personal kingdom. This dream troubled him so much, of course, that he couldn't fall back to sleep. And so he needed to understand what that dream meant. In the Babylonian culture, like many others, the kings were considered the closest individuals to the pagan gods. And the pagan gods would often be known to communicate to the people through the king through a series of dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar needed to know and to understand what this dream meant. So in verse 2, Then the king gave the command to call all the magicians the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream. Now notice that it's singular here, but plural in the previous verse, meaning it probably was a recurring dream, one over and over and over again. And the king said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious meaning I'm troubled, I'm concerned, it's worrying me to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces." This is what you call a motivational speech. (laughs) And your houses shall be made as ash heaps. The the penalty was this. Of course, they would be executed, cut in pieces, 
and their homes would be made the garbage dumps of the area and also the latrines of the area. That's what is known here by the Hebrew that is used. However, if you tell me, verse 6, the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered again and said, well, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And for this reason, the king was angry and furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel finds himself in a peril. And he wasn't even one that was amongst them given an opportunity to tell the king his dream and its interpretation. This was what you would call unprecedented. No king had ever asked his counselors to do such a thing. And they were right in saying that there is no man on earth that can do such a thing. God is setting the stage for what God is about to do. And again, that stage begins with Daniel in peril. Daniel's life is now on the line with his three companions. And again, no fault of his own does he find himself in this position. Now notice here that the king determined that the counselors give the dream before the interpretation. He wanted to know that the interpretation was credible. That it wasn't something that they were manipulating. Something that they were using to gain favor with him. Often in ancient times, the counselors would give the king uh, what he wanted to hear rather than what he needed to hear. In fear that their advice or counsel would displease the king and their lives would be in jeopardy again. This troubled Nebuchadnezzar so much to know the truth that he said, I cannot be guaranteed of your interpretation unless you first give me the dream itself. Now, some here argue that Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream, which would have been catastrophic for any king to do so since he was the chief contact of the pagan gods. No, I think he needed a credible interpretation. And the only way he could have obtained that credible interpretation was through the supernatural ability to have his counselors tell him what the dream itself actually was. And so the stage is set. And Daniel, our hero, is now in peril. 
His life is on the line. As they rightfully said, no human could give such an interpretation and such a revelation. Only the gods. But Daniel is going to just show us very clearly and distinctly that there's only one true God. And that God is going to show up and he's going to show up big time because it was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream to begin with. So let us continue. As we move from the peril into the prayer that Daniel will offer. Many times God has used a dream to set up a situation for his people. We saw it with Pharaoh when it came to Joseph in Genesis 41. When the Magi came to worship the Lord in Matthew 2.12, we read, Then being divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. God uses dreams, and he gives dreams to people who do not know him for the protection of his people. Again, demonstrating the first of the two principles that we articulated last week, that God governs all the affairs of man. And that God's sovereignty allows him to interject when he feels it's necessary to do so. So now we come to Daniel in verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. Remember, that's exactly what the king was worried about, that they would stall. Daniel, of course, was taking a risk by asking the king for such favor. But from chapter 1, we realize the king had already seen that Daniel and his companions were ten times wiser than his other counselors. And he asked the king that he might make or tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah, Azariah, excuse me, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the, the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let's stop right there and realize, what did Daniel do when his back was up against it? He went out throughout Babylon and started a petition, saying that the king was unfair, that the king was judging him incorrectly. Is that what he did? Did did Daniel write his congressman, his senator, his governor, his mayor, The very first thing that Daniel did, and this is where we need to learn this morning, is that Daniel chose to pray. He chose to seek the Lord. He chose to petition God. 
because he knew that there wasn't anyone on this earth that was going to be capable of giving him the answer in which he was looking for. But how often do we go to Google first and then pray later? How often do we try to determine and to size up the situation before us before ever taking it in prayer, often getting ourselves so overwhelmed by it that we think that prayer is the last option and everything is dire, but maybe we would see it differently if we prayed first. Notice with me as you read through Genesis to Revelation how often God's people chose to pray first. And I want that to be a... Just an edict, a mandate, okay? We're all used to that word now, right? A mandate in our church, we're going to pray first, okay? We're going to pray first. And God made the the revelation known to Daniel in a night vision, and this is the way Daniel responded to God's incredible provision. In verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever." And ever, showing the eternal superiority and sovereignty of the God of all creation. For Daniel knew that for wisdom and might are his. The wisdom that Daniel needed was never going to be found within this world. And only God's wisdom could alleviate the burden that Daniel found himself under. Allow him to escape the peril that he was faced with. We must believe in the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's Word. The wisdom of God is so vastly superior to the wisdom of this world. And we are not trading one for one. We are not uh, comparing apples to apples or oranges to oranges. The wisdom of God is so vastly superior to the wisdom of man. Again, the wisdom of this world, God says, is mere foolishness to him. Meaning that even though they may know what is right, they choose not to do it. But Daniel saw an eternal perspective of God. He saw his sovereignty. He saw his wisdom. He saw his might. And then in verse 21, we have a very interesting statement. And he, that is God, changes the times... And the seasons. What does that actually mean? The word time there in Hebrew means he changes the circumstances. He changes the situation. God can turn man's plans up on on end in a matter of seconds. The king was determined to kill all of the counselors, but now God was given an opportunity to show up strong. He takes this opportunity that he himself allowed to occur so Daniel and his companions could show themselves strong in the Lord and glorifying him at that moment. One of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn as a Christian is to wait on God. Even though we have ample evidence in Scripture that those who chose to act presumptuously in one situation or another always regretted it in the end. I remember sitting in messages as a young man. I was saved when I was 16, so as a teenager, listening on the incredible value of waiting on God to allow Him to work things out. 
Now, at 16, you can imagine, uh, my patience was incredible at that time. I wish I could say that at 53, it's gotten better at times. But learning to wait on the Lord to change circumstances should again be one of our first choices. To wait on the Lord. To see how He will work things out. To see what He will change and what He will bring about. And what I found is that often when I do, God begins to work things out in a way I never imagined. I, 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 I say, oh God, I gave you option A, B, and C, but you had D in mind the whole time. None of the above. I'm going to do it my way. We need to take a step back, see all that is happening in our world today that we are adamantly opposed to, and let's see what God will do in and through it. Whenever we see people oppressed through authoritarian means, the harder they press, the more the people resist. That's history. That's what I see happening in the United States of America. People are starting to see that these things that are being mandated upon the populace are not beneficial for the populace as a whole. Even this week, concerning the mask mandate, my mayor, Craig Johnson of Elk Grove Village, said enough is enough. It's time to move on. Things are as safe as it's going to get. We need to start moving forward. Do you know that picked up national news recollection, uh, recognition? Finally, people are starting to see. And the more they threaten, the more they impose, the more they oppress, the more people will rise up. Let's see what God does. Let's see what the Lord will do. This is no longer about the efficacy of a vaccine. This is about the overreach of our personal federal government. But instead of getting worried and anxious and cowering in the corner in a fetal position, let's see what God will do. And God has a tendency to do things outside of our plan and understanding. In these times and seasons, notice that Daniel specifically says that he removes kings and raises them up. The leaders that we have now may not be the leaders we have tomorrow. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. This is an interesting verse also. What does he mean by knowledge to those who have understanding? The best way I can illustrate what this term means to you is, is this. Have you ever read through God's Word? You read a chapter, you read a passage, and you just didn't understand it? You know, there's no pictures to help you through. Well, maybe in some of your Bibles, like mine, the picture Bible. I don't recommend the scratch and sniff. There are areas that are not, not recommended. But what God is saying is that those who are willing to dive into His Word, this is what's encapsulated in the word understanding. 
You've exposed yourself to God's word. You've exposed yourself to his teaching. You've exposed yourself to uh, what he is giving you and sharing with you. But you don't fully understand it. He says that he will give you the knowledge to understand it. That he will show you. He will illuminate it to you. That's why Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was given to us to continue to lead us into all truth. So keep reading. Keep diving into God's Word, knowing that He will bring about the knowledge of those passages in due time. As He, in verse 22, He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is the, in the darkness and the light and light dwells in Him. Meaning only He knows the thoughts and the hearts of man. What is in a person's mind. What is in the deepest resets of their being. Only God knows and only God can reveal. And so in verse 23, He says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and I have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the interpretation. And Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, And you are able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men and the astrologers and the magicians and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. So Daniel says to him, you were right, king, and by ascertaining that there isn't a person on this earth that can do it, even me, for I am not favored among others. It is the God of heaven who reveals this to you. He wants you to know what he is saying to you. He is making you known the interpretation by revealing to you the dream itself. And so the stage is set. God now is in the midst, and the conversation revolves around His revelation of what transpires next. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And He who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who makes known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. 
This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image head was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We now see Daniel giving the interpretation and the revelation of the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now many may ask, does God still use dreams today to communicate His purposes? And the answer is yes, but may I preface that by saying let's be careful because though God can use dreams to reveal to someone his will his primary resource for revealing his will to anyone is the Holy Spirit and the word of God and let me say it this way maybe this is even clear the Holy Spirit through the word of God That should always be our primary resource. But let us also remember that Peter clearly said that at the time of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit ushered in what truly are known as the last days. And part of that accompaniment of the last days was this promise found in Acts chapter 2, 16 and 17. But this, that is the observation of them speaking in tongues and the people asking what does this all mean he says but this is what was spoken by the prophet joel and it shall come to pass in the last days says god that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams i don't know how i feel about that last one But this is the way God decides to use dreams. Now, I personally have experienced this for myself. I'd like to share it with you. It happened when I wasn't old. I was actually young. I had this continued dream over and over again that I was in a plane crash. And I kept observing, not from within the plane, but from outside of the plane, a United DC-10 going down in the middle of a cornfield over and over and over and over again. Well, it just so happened to be that this was at the time where I was about to fly for the first time by myself to a conference in California at Costa Mesa, California. And I was very concerned that, of course, God was telling me that the plane was going to go down. And so since I had just recently gotten right with him, As a Christian, I guess he wanted to prevent me from backsliding and just take me home right away. And so I had this recurring dream over and over, the same one, over and over and over again. Well, the day came that my flight was about to leave and I met someone that I had never met before that I was flying with, but I didn't know him. He was a friend of a friend of a friend. 
And while we were waiting for the plane to board, he mentioned to me that he too had had a dream that this plane was about to go down. And he asked, is this the Lord warning us not to get on the plane? Now, he had been a believer for decades, and he's asking me, who has been a believer just a short period of time. But after we prayed and encouraged one another, we got on the plane We had a beautiful trip off to California, and right before we were about to land in John Wayne, Orange County, the plane was making its way in, the buildings and everything was getting larger, but all of a sudden, before touching down on the runway, he pulled up and went straight up into the air, flew over the ocean, and it appeared that he was dumping fuel. He gets on the loudspeaker to tell us that the front landing gear didn't go down and they were preparing for a belly landing. I'm like, great, (laughs) wonderful. Are you going to eat that carrot cake? Because if you're not, I'm (laughs) my last meal. So my friend Roy and I, we prayed, and the plane came around, and we prayed, and then all of a sudden, we came in on a certain angle, and he kind of went back to a normal angle. The landing gear had come down. We landed safely, and it was one of the most powerful conferences that I ever went to. But I didn't understand my dream because it wasn't United that I flew, it was American. And I didn't understand what God was trying to say or to communicate. So I just thought that maybe, just maybe, it was a mistake, you know. About a month and a half later, I came home for lunch one day. The TV was on. And there on live TV was a United DC-10 in a cornfield in Iowa that had crashed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I dreamt. That's it right there. I called my friend and, he, and he's like, oh my gosh. He goes, I thought you were a goner. I guess not. I'm like, thanks. And he was my best friend. And then I called my pastor. I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. And he said, well, let's just continue to pray about it and see what happened few months after that, my pastor had one of the survivors of that crash at our church giving his testimony. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, I, I dreamt that this plane was about to go down. I mean, your plane, I, I saw it. He said, you know, you're probably the fifth or sixth person who has said that to me because God was asking you to pray. Oh, that's what I should have done. I worried. I thought it was me because... I'll never forget that. In fact, in Life magazine, there's a picture of that man giving his testimony, and I'm sitting in the front row with my long hair. (laughs) So I've had an experience like this. But let us be careful, because the Bible warns us that dreams can also be given by demonic forces. In Jeremiah 23, I'm sorry, yeah, 23, 25 to 32, you can look it up on yourself, The false prophet says that they had been given dreams and they prophesied falsely based upon those dreams. You know, of course, dreams can occur just simply due to the food that we had before we go to bed. Maybe that slice of pepperoni pizza has revealed all kinds of things to you during the middle of the night, but they're not necessarily of God. The one way to know is by testing all things against Scripture. Test the spirits and wait on God for the revelation that he gives. So now we return. In verse 31, as Daniel has given him, 
the revelation in verses 31 to 35 as we had read. In verse 36, he continues, This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. A king of kings. Please notice that. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And whatever the children of men, wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet of toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the king shall be partly strong, the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they would be mingled with the seeds of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall be broken or break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze and the clay, the silver and the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The interpretation, I'm sorry, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. In verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar wondered what would be the future of his kingdom. Historians tell us that there was a prophecy in Babylonian culture called the Uruk Prophecy. The Uruk prophecy was something that the Babylonian kingdom held to because it originally was given and interpreted that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would be the last and final and superior kingdom to all the kingdoms that had preceded it. And I believe that God is showing him that, no, there's much to come after you, Nebuchadnezzar. And after you will come in the Medes and the Persians, the silver. After the silver will come the bronze, the Greeks. After the Greeks shall come the legs of iron, the Romans. And all of these empires were the empires that would rule with oppression over the nation of Israel in a time that the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles. But after looking at these four, which already has been fulfilled perfectly, 
We will see in Daniel's book itself, the Medes and the Persians succeeding the Babylonian kingdom. After that, we will see the Greeks through Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Great, excuse me, conquer the Medes and the Persians. And then, of course, after that came Rome. And Rome, of course, ruled at the time of Christ's first coming. But there's a fifth one. Another empire. This one made of ten nations. Partly of what was once the Roman Empire and partly of clay, meaning that it's fragile in comparison to it. These ten nations will be expounded on as we go further into Daniel. But we see these ten nations alluded to in Daniel and in the book of Revelation. These ten nations will come together in the last days and be the last great empire, or let me say it this way, superpower in our world. It is out of these ten nations that one will come who the Bible calls the Antichrist. And will oppose God for seven years, the seven year tribulation period. In the last three and a half years, he will be devastating to this world, asking the world to pledge its allegiance to him through accepting a mark on their head or on their uh, arm or hand. And without it, no one can buy or sell. It is this kingdom that will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ. The stone not cut from the mountain by hands. It will be his kingdom that will be a glorious, everlasting kingdom forever and ever. As we know, after the return of Jesus Christ, a great judgment occurs, the separation. And then we go into the millennial kingdom where Jesus himself reigns for a thousand years, Revelation chapter 20. And then after that, We have the new heavens and the new earth that sin has not defiled with its touch and death is not welcome there. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more injustice, no more corruption. For God has truly made all things brand new. But let me tell you what this tells me. That the story is already written And in the end, we win. We're just making our way through the chapters that precede it. And when it all said and done, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is superior to any other citizenship that we hold. Knowing that it will be that kingdom that will last and last forever. It's interesting to me that this tells me from the very beginning that the governments of man were destined to fail. You know, I know that. Because the weight of gold is heavier than the weight of the materials underneath it. The statue was top-heavy to begin with, destined to fall. Isn't that interesting? But it also shows me the divisions that man deals with each and every day. What holds our unity together are treaties and promises. What holds our world together is economic gain, military strength, and so forth. All of these things are mere clay compared to the unity that is found in in and through God and amongst His people. 
And notice that the clay material that is mixed with the iron in these last ten nations represents the same material that you and I were created of for our physical being. This last form of government will represent the depravity of man to its fullest capacity. As one wrote, he said, man at his best is simple clay, for God has made him out of the dust of the earth. Though man and woman are both made in the image of God, sin has robbed us of the dominion that he gave us. We are both creators and destroyers. We seem bent on destroying one another and the world God has graciously given us. The heart of every problem is the problem of the human heart and its rebellion against God. That's why the kingdoms of this world will not stand. Now you may be thinking that this is a far-fetched idea. That a coalition of nations can come together and be the last great, let me use the word superpower, within our world. But I tell you this morning that that idea has already been conceived and its planning for has already been underway. Back in June, I revealed or I shared with you all the elements of what is known as the Great Reset. A, con- a concept constructed by the founder of the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum introduced the world to the idea of the Great Reset through a commercial that v- showed almost everywhere in the world except in the United States of America for some reason. But the second point of the eight points of the Reset deals with us directly. And I'd like to show you a couple slides. First of all, Nathan, if you will. Notice what it says here. That under the second point of the Great Reset, the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. We'll be removed from that position. It is interesting that our current administration is bent on the idea of build back better. That is directly out of the playbook of the Great Reset. Isn't it interesting that it seems like decisions that are being made in our nation today would all move us from that position of being a superpower? I'll let you chew on that for yourself. But whenever you remove a superpower, you, don't, you leave a vacuum that must be filled. So what is their idea of fulfilling that vacuum? The next one. A handful of countries will what? dominate. They don't want one nation, they want a collective of nations coming together and notice the language that they themselves use within their advertisement. Language is important, right? What is your reaction to the word dominate? Think about it. The concept of a collective superpower over the world has already been conceived and is being advertised before us today. You know what that tells me? Jesus is coming back soon. Because we know how it all ends, don't we? They will raise for a moment in time. One will arise out of them. 
the Antichrist. At the three and a half year mark, the Bible says that he will be mortally wounded. Zechariah tells us that that wound will resemble the loss of the use of his hand and a wound to his head. It will appear that he has died and then he will resurrect again. I think we read this someplace else before. After that resurrection, the Bible clearly tells us the Antichrist will be filled with Satan himself and plunge the world into a three and a half year period of time like the world has never seen before. If I may say it this way, I don't think we have any young ones amongst us, a couple, excuse my French, but all hell is going to break out on earth, literally. The concept for a multi-collection uh, of nations is already being drawn out it's already been architected and now we are moving towards it but to allow that to happen we must cease of becoming the superpower that we are currently today and this is the argument between nationalism and globalism we have seen that globalism is not only that we do business around the world but it apparently now means also that we are dependent on the world for everything and when the pandemic hit we realized that the most basic supplies that we needed were unavailable to us because we no longer were manufacturing them. Well, I'll leave all that for you to consider. But in verse 46, as we conclude quickly, notice how Nebuchadnezzar reacts to what he has now been told. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrated himself before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and the chief and minister over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. God has set Daniel up now for what Daniel was going to continue to do as he glorified God with his individual life as a stranger in a strange land. He chose God over the things of this world, knowing that it was God's kingdom that was going to be an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that would go and reign forever. If I may read this in closing, let me read this to you. When we consider these truths, the author writes, our response ought to be one of joyful confidence, knowing that the Lord has everything under control and we one day will reign on this earth. And while God's people should do everything they can to alleviate suffering and make this a safer and happier world, our hope is not in laws or political alliances or moral crusades. Our hope is in the Lord. People's hearts need to be changed by the grace of God. And that means God's people must be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The only kingdom that will stand forever is Christ's kingdom. And the only people who will be citizens of that kingdom are those who have trusted in Him 
and been born again by the Spirit of God. So for our third mandate today, number one, pray first. Number two, wait on God. Our third mandate comes from Psalm 50, 15, and we close with this. Where God invites us, He says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me.